The Change Officer Podcast's Future of Financial Services series is brought to you by Holly Wally, the world's first wallet-as-a-service platform. Stay tuned to find out how Holly Wally can help you build your mobile wallet to increase revenue and reduce time to market. The companies that are able to continue to identify the next disruptions, even if that means self-disrupting, by the way, and go for them, are the companies that will subsist the most in time, the winners. So the winners are those who, in my mind, have been able to write that next chapter that I was referring to. Because if you're not writing it, somebody else is writing it for you. Point is, if you can create tremendous value in today terms, wherever you are in the, you know, on the historic, historical timeline, you'll be able to dictate the next chapter. I think that is always what will drive human progress in my mind. Who is able to create that biggest delta of movement in terms of creating economic value, impacting people's lives? You get to decide the next chapter and all of human almost condition follows that path. Welcome to the Change Officer Podcast's Future of Financial Services series. In this series, we are deep diving into some of the hottest and most pivotal topics in the financial services industry right now, including personalization in financial services, embedded finance, and the mobile payment revolution. Join us as we seek the answers to critical questions such as what does the future hold for the financial services sector and where should we look for the next big disruptive idea. This was, I think, an amazing introduction to the next part of, of the show. And I want us to discuss about what's happening in the world with technology. And it, and, uh, me coming from technology and it's overwhelming. I can imagine what it means mm. for someone who is not. Uh, I recently introduced ChatGPT to my parents and they're literally... I, I, I mind blown. <laughs> mind blown. A um, couple of topics. One that is kind of close to, to your industry, digital currencies. Uh, what's your view on digital currencies? They're going through a very tough period uh, for a reason. Um, how is MasterCard looking at digital currencies? Uh, I know that there are already partnerships happening. Um, what's your view on all of that? So on the first part of the question, which is what's happening with digital currencies, first of all, maybe let's just try to weed things out a bit and un- unpack the, the, the story and the question. So you have obviously all sorts of coins, mm. you know, from the most speculative, uh, dodgy kind of Dodge coin, all the way to the more respectable, still surviving kind of Bitcoin, regardless of the value. Um, which is still questionable in terms of what is the value? What does it try to solve? Okay, is it a, is it a store of value, but for whom and why is it being used? You know, we can, we can debate that. Then you have... Um, other forms of value, which which remains kind of TBD, still trying to find its feet. Some people say it's speculative. Some people say complete bogus, mm. like the NFTs, for instance. Some say it's hey, it's just art. You know, you can you know you can value this thing on the wall, and it could be zero. I can value it at a hundred million dollars. We can debate that. Um, and then there are things more, let's say, serious <laughs> and more regulated, like a CBDC, which is central bank digital currency. So when a country, and usually some of them do come to us and say, hey, can you help us think about CBDC? Um, we first try to ask the basic questions. Like, is this a solution looking for a problem or do you have a problem statement? Because effectively, I mean, today there are digital currencies, right? When you put money in a bank and you don't see the the the, the bill in your hand, right? That, that legal tender in your hand, that's digital currency. Now, it's not sitting on the blockchain. It's sitting on the ledger of a bank. 
and it's reported to another ledger, which is the central bank, right, who controls the money supply. So arguably, it's kind of distributed, it's kind of digital currency, but it's not in the way that we're inventing and imagining CBDC. No. Centralized. Correct. Now, now there has not been a clear CBDC uh, win anywhere out there in the world. There's a lot of discussions about... There are trials know, as well. In there are trials right? and lots of pilots, but you, you hear one country say, oh, we're working on this pilot to pay, you know, uh, for trade flows with another, con- with another country directly. So they're trying to do that. They're trying to find... There's a lot of pilots, a lot of experiments. Uh, and actually, we're participating and encouraging a lot of them. We're actually trying to learn from them. Um, and then there's the other sort of offshoot of this whole conversation, which is blockchain, mm-hmm. where we also spend a lot of time, a lot of investment dollars, a lot of research dollars trying to figure out what to do with blockchain. And from that perspective, um, although we have like more than 100 patents, I think we're like the third largest um, sort of patent holder on the blockchain side. We've only found like less than a handful of use cases to commercialize, really. So in the recent past with exchanges kind of like becoming more prevalent and trying to really help uh, solve the issue of I have, you know, some coins, but I don't know how to use them to pay. Many of them, many of those exchanges globally and regionally have approached us and said, hey, can you help us, can help our consumers to use uh, your tools, your products to pay with the coins? So that's where we've kind of also spent recently, you've seen some of our announcement around uh, on-ramp, off-ramp kind of crypto cards and so on. So we're trying to solve for that. Uh, what have you learned so far from those experiments? Honestly, I think they're very early stage. So we, ha- we haven't seen the, the, the initial, yeah, the initial uh, pilots and bear fruit yet. So they're all kind of just being inked or inked very recently. So the work has just begun, right? And, and we need to see how that uh, improves the user's uh, you know, experience from, from, from the initial um, pilots uh, when they launch. And then we can take a view. Um, another interesting topic, probably the hottest topic these days, AI. Um, now, what is this is what is actually interesting, is that most of the informed world started paying attention to AI after ChatGPT was launched, right? Because ChatGPT was sort of the first widely accepted public use of AI, and everyone uh, got shocked. Uh, while AI has been you know, in in development for a couple of decades already in some shapes or form. Um, now, this is completely on, on a personal level. How do you feel about everything that is happening? Uh, AI, chat GPT, new technologies. Look, I think th- there's an interesting book called Stealing Fire that I was reading recently. Um, I don't know if you've read it, but it's basically... No, Stealing ta- Fire. Yeah, it's a very cool book. It talks about how at every... Um, in a nutshell, I mean, I don't know if I'm summarizing properly, but one of the key messages is, and that's the, the reason for the name, is for every technology that is held by elite, at some point there comes someone or a force or a group of people that steal that knowledge and want to give it out to the world, right? So I think mm, one, fire, okay. yeah. So so I think maybe to give you one example, um, Gutenberg took the knowledge from the elite, you know, uh, royalties and the priests and the church and gave it to the people because, you know, when you can print books at scale, people can learn to read and write. So when you, that's stealing fire, that's his point. And and it's it's a reference to Prometheus who stole fire from Zeus to give it to the people and, you know, got punished for it. Um, So Greek mythology. So in, in that sort of vein, if you think about it, Chad GPT is someone who stole fire 
through. from the from the intelligent sort of uh, uh, you know mathematical and physics community or mathematics and physics community of people who are statisticians and mathematicians and you know super intelligent people who worked for organizations large organizations like IBM and Mastercard and others and developed intelligent code to make decisions and better decisions than the traditional rule based code. Right, so you're a coder, I'm a coder, I know what initially we'd like rule based, if then else, if then else, if then else. But then we we would always have and the exception. So you have to catch the exception somewhere, otherwise your code will break. So what 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 AI has been doing for the last two decades to your point is for instance on our uh, on our network, we apply we've been applying AI for a couple of decades and some of it is to catch, you know, fraud, to run cybersecurity uh, uh, you know, routines, uh, you know, kind of keep the peace, try to guess what looks like suspicious behavior and stop it on the network before it goes global or viral. So we've been doing that. It's interesting now because it's so easy to access, mm. you know, um, the, the, the skill set and the knowledge to code AI is, is now far easier, right? Earlier you have to learn to write C, total disaster. C++ is easier. I don't know, today people write in, uh, um, I, I, I know banks now, I mean, I was having a chat with the bank CEO who would not hire someone if they don't know how to code Python. So, because that knowledge becomes so common, almost everyone speaks code, everyone can code, that I think you're seeing AI becoming much more uh, available, right, more broadly. So I think it's going to, my view on it is, is you're definitely going to see my way more use cases, uh, sometimes as silly as, you know, people creating funny videos or fake cats, you know, doing fake cat videos like, we, like the cat videos we see two decades mm-hmm. ago on YouTube. It's because it's just available. But it's a good thing, right? Because also much more smarter use cases will be created by by AI. Um, and that's just going to create a very positive, I think, hopefully, uh, force for change and simplification. Are you more excited or afraid of how AI can evolve over the years? Talk, talking long-term in the proper meaning of long-term. The, 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 the long debate between uh, uh, Elon Musk and others on uh, whether AI can be good or bad. Look, uh, I'm neither, okay? Because that you ca- you're kind of asking me to guess the, the future, right? It's like, uh, is the future going to look like an AI running the world or is the future going to look like a bunch of happy human beings being served by AI? I, I mean, know. it's more of a actual, like, pot- uh, totally, like, honest question. Do you get anxious anytime thinking about AI and feel like this might go wrong? Although there is a lot of, obviously, positive use cases yeah. and how things can evolve. Look, I mean, I'm... I'm. I don't get anxious by by the future. Uh, I have a different view on how to think about the future, but uh, the way I think about it, yeah, it could go horribly wrong. But I think there's more. It's there's a higher likelihood that it will go better than worse, right? Because all human existence hinges on us improving our our life and improving our livelihoods and improving our opportunities, not on the opposite. So it, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't kind of be able to imagine why there would be a doomsday scenario because mm. it's, it's just too unlikely to me. Yeah, not that it's impossible, but just too unlikely. Hey everyone, sorry for jumping in. We'll be back with the rest of the conversation shortly. But I wanted to take a moment to thank the sponsor of our show, Holly Wally. Within the next two years, 4 billion people will be using digital wallets and the global mobile payments market size is expected to hit US $5.5 billion by 2024. It's more important than ever for financial service providers to offer a digital wallet service to their customers. 
enter Hollywally, the world's first wallet as a service platform that allows any financial service provider to build their own digital wallet as efficiently and cost effectively as possible. Whether you're a fintech, retailer, banking institution or insurance carrier, Hollywally has all the elements you need to build your own company's ideal digital wallet in a matter of minutes and manage it on an ongoing basis. To find out how Hollywally can increase your customer engagement and revenue or to register for a demo, visit hollywally.com. The link can be found in the show notes of this episode and now enjoy the rest of this conversation. Yeah, I'm sure you know, when you actually think about it, you you're positive and optimistic, you know. Yeah. Uh, people are at the end of the day good. Uh so, you know. But there, there will be bad actors by the way but they're only doing it in the context of improving their good. Right. So, right. So it's, it's, it's not a, uh, it's not like a, I think we're, I think when people think about it more like AI, you know, take, taking over the world and the whole planet becoming, you know, like mm-hmm. the matrix. So I don't think it's that extreme, not yet, at least hard to imagine. Yeah. But I think it's much more likely that some good will come more, more good will come out of it than bad. You know, what's also interesting to think about, I gave an example that I've shared, uh, Chad GPT introduced to my parents who are in their sixties. Um, in a relatively developed country. Um, so the gap between them and someone living in Dubai is big. The gap between a developed country and underdeveloped country is even bigger. Now, the pace at which you are developing and progressing in a developed regions is picking up day by day. Do you think that this technological progress, AI and, and, and the rest of the trends and technologies, will increase the gap that exists and keep increasing it or it will shrink it? Look, I think this is a very interesting question. And I think people always look at it from the perspective of who's benefiting more. I think the better way to look at it is who's benefiting without the word more. Let me give you an example. Has technology enabled some people to make a ton of money and become, you know, gazillionaires today? For sure. Yes. I mean, the the richest people in the the world, you know, own things like Amazon and, you know, Elon Musk, etc. So, and Warren Buffett. So, definitely, scale and technology has enabled them to get richer. Now, along those same lines, hasn't Amazon made everyone's life easier because instead of you running to the store and wasting your time to buy something, you just order it in three clicks? Okay. Now, some of the, the biggest techno- you know companies in the world are like Apple. Phone makers. Not just Apple. Other phone makers. Other OEAs. Now, if you're an Apple stockholder, you're doing well. But also, if you have just a smartphone, it doesn't have to be from Apple. It could be from any Chinese manufacturer. And you're a farmer in Pakistan or you're a chaiwala in India and you see something and you say, hey, I can I can make that tea also. And you start making it on your kiosk. Isn't your life better? So I think the question, nobody asks the question, who's benefiting? And is this benefiting the world? Everyone asks, who's benefiting more? Like it's a competition because we're, you know, we're a very competitive species, which is fine. But I think, yes, so to, to answer your question, sure, yeah, the gap will be bigger because guess why? We're creating more value more economic value over time as a global population. Mm-hmm. The, the population is growing and the pool of value is growing. So probably, yes, whoever's at the top will keep going up. Mm-hmm. But I think also it's good to say that the base is increasing and more people have opportunities to participate. And that's why going back to your question about the billion uh, people into the digital economy, because we want people to participate and not be disintermediated. 
today the worst the worst kind of uh, uh, poverty today is not being in digital economy because that means you have access, no access to knowledge no access to discovery you cannot you know you don't know what's going on around you your, your information gets to you very slowly uh, you don't have access to price discovery so you don't know if you're buying things cheap or expensive you cannot make money because you you don't see what what are the trends around you you don't know where the, what are the right things so access to digital today is the equivalent of like not knowing how to read 400 six, yeah, uh, f- five, 600 years ago so that's i think the, the worst kind of poverty and i think this is a better way to think about it than trying to to worry too much about the gap yeah the gap will continue to increase i promise you yeah no i think that's a good way to put it and i yeah i uh, i like the answer uh, I, I like how you got away from the yeah <laughs> but, because look but I it's mean, true but it, it's actually true capitalism in, in average, is a power is going to be yeah correct C- capitalism is a power without it there will be no progress mm. because you know we've seen communist model not doing so well because when you give everyone the same amount of, uh, of of reward for different amounts of effort people will not want to work harder so progress is created by uh, or is incentivized by reward you get for value creation and you can maximize that by including more people into that. So imagine like the whole world as a digital farm. Okay? Mm-hmm. That you want to be inside the farm or outside the farm? First question. You want to be inside the farm because outside the farm there's no value creation. You're living alone outside the tribe. That's the Second question. If you're inside the farm, then you can compete on value creation. You can be a, you know, a kid who sits in India and has no, no clue what, uh, you know, how, what, 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 what banking is. Suddenly learns something about crypto, gets it, figures out a couple of trends. Now he's a crypto billionaire. Now that is an opportunity that was not there a decade ago. And that's the acceleration that you see. That's the disruption you'll see in wealth and moving across uh, you know, wealth uh, layers and, 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 and social classes and so on. So I think there, there are interesting new changes and new developments that, w- that are impacting population or the, the, the global population at scale that are not, this has not been seen before. It's pretty interesting. Having everything that we said so far in mind, mm. I have a wrap-up question. Um, where do you see the next big thing, next opportunity uh, or a change that will happen in the relatively near future that if you would have, you know, another eight hours in your day and you wake up one day feeling entrepreneurial that you would go for uh, and try to solve. So there's, well, I guess I have two answers for you because I, I have one answer for every one of those questions. So my biggest passion personally is identity. Okay. Because I don't think, and I'm talking about identity management in general, right? And the digital identity as a whole. So I don't think as a global global species of, you know, people living in 210 countries, we have really thought about scalable solutions for identity. I mean, think about it. Like our best f- solution for identity today is a passport. How ridiculous and undigital is that? Okay. Uh, yeah. Today, people like identify more with their Facebook profile, their LinkedIn profile, their Twitter and tw- TikTok and Snapchat and all the other stuff profile, 100%. Insta, whatever profile, than their passport. But you need a passport to travel. So how undigital is that? So I think that's one thing that really bothers me. And if I could find a you know a hammer for that nail, I'd go for it. Or if I had more time. But I think a driving force that could solve for this and many other, um, um, I would say, problems is AI. Because the way I think about AI is an acceleration of the human thought process. 
And if that's applied at scale, it will free us up to do the things that AI cannot do, right? To do the more maybe physical things or to more creative things that as an AI you cannot do because AI is very constrained, has a set of rules and trying to solve one problem. Our ability is to link dots that are not seemingly connected so easily and be creative and think outside the box or things without a box, right? So I think if we, if I had more time, I would definitely spend more time on on developing AI use cases and and think about ways to make AI much more accessible and much more deployable across different uh, use cases, sectors, business models, um, and find linkages. I think that's where the most value is. Wherever there is linkages to be made that were not made before, I think that's how you create value and bridge gaps. Yeah, and I think that we're going to witness that in increasing speed over the next even months. Exactly. Reiki, thanks for coming Thank you on for the having show. Me. It was very inspirational. Thank you so much. Guys, I hope you enjoyed. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I think uh, if I have a feel for a good episode, I think that we did manage to inspire at least a couple of thoughts out there and a couple of epiphanies. I hope so. Um, stay tuned. There is another great episode coming out soon. Thanks for staying with us.